and welcome to another episode of Northside Now. This is the podcast where we take you on a tour through all of the ministries and the latest happenings around Northside Church to keep you better connected with your church family. My name is Patrick, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Glenn Miller and Kevin Bryant. Hello. What's up, guys? Hey, everybody. I just had a visual, though. I don't know why I've never had this visual till just now. We need to have a picture of the three of us made in, like, tour guide outfits. Because we're uh, taking people on a tour. A, tour. a three hour tour. <laughs> yes. Is it tour or tour? A tour. tour. It depends on how far south you go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not a tumor. It's a tour and a pool. Yeah. And a limb, a tree limb. <laughs> well, uh, and in the podcast room with us today, just dying to get on this conversation right here, <laughs> is Tom Rolfe. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why Tom's here. But welcome to the podcast room. Thank you. What do you think about the decorating in here? It's fantastic. Always has been. Yeah, it's really cool. Because so. it's, it's never changed. It's, <laughs> this is one of those bits that like it was funny at first, and then it's like you know it just, we, we kind of beat that to yeah. death, and now it's like <laughs> might as well. Oh hey, you know it's kind of getting funny again. Yeah, <laughs> might as well just to us at least. Yeah. Nobody else thinks that, so. That's what matters though. <laughs> if it makes y'all laugh, that's, that's what's right. important. That's right. I want to give a shout out real quick before we get busy to Miss Amy Ray, mm-hmm. who dropped by my office yesterday, uh, telling us how great a job we're doing. And how much she enjoys the podcast. So, I want to give a shout out to uh, Miss Peggy Bird, who came by my office and gave me candy the other day. So, (laughs) that was no joke. Her trail mix, (laughs) she makes it be sold. Yeah. (laughs) She comes by and gives the staff trail mix every Halloween, and uh, it is really, really, really good. But yes, also shout out to Amy Ray. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that was fun. So, we were talking just a little bit ago about the genres of music. So, is pop music old music? Or is it current music? Well, I would say pop music is current. Well, pop is now like more of an overarching genre, but like the older you get, Tom made a good point. We have classic rock. We need to be calling it classic pop. Instead of oldies, because that's what they call it now. But do people know what pop stands for? It's like a soda pop, right? Yeah. (laughs) It was, you know, VH1 thought it was pop-up videos. (laughs) Right. It's It's like sugary sweet music for your ears. Lots Which was of, a song by Def Leppard. <laughs> Good, that's, that's wow. correct. That's correct. You are on, but, today, but that song is classic rock. That's not classic oh, pop because it's Ooh. got guitars. <laughs> it's got real instruments in it. Oh, so pop music has to be done by computers only. <laughs> Some people would say. Uh, I, I disagree with that part. So pop stands for popular music. Which when I grew up. And Tom and Kevin. Now there's more Gen Xers in here, so we could actually beat down this millennial. Uh, absolutely. But, but um, Michael Jackson was the king of pop. Yes. And who like Whitney Houston, and that was the pop era. Who's pop today? Beyonce, Ed Sheeran. Ooh, I would put Taylor Swift in Taylor a, Swift. Uh, oh category. yeah, she's probably yeah. A queen and now. She and Demi Lovato. Well, now now Beyonce's still Queen B, but <laughs> Taylor Swift's trying. Well, she's a billionaire. Well, that's true. I guess she's uh, she's she's the first Beyonce and uh, female artist to be a billionaire. I think that got announced what a week or two ago, mm-hmm. thanks to the Eras tour. I've heard people talk about pop in like a derivative way, like it's not substantive music. It's just ear candy and formulaic. And I generally hear this from the people who are kind of snooty musicians who are purists mm. and say, "Yes, I'm looking at you." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, you know, I think it has a place. There's no doubt about that in my mind. But it changes with the culture and with the tastes of people who are buying music, buying those discs, which they know too. 
So that's what I think of when I think of popular music. Do people still buy discs? No. Well, some people still make them. Oh, I know okay. that. Yeah. But I don't know if they buy them. Definitely I have a, not I have a tub too. full of cassette singles at the house. If- Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> cassette singles cassette singles i just had to have that song you know you remember the early 90s yeah but i was so poor i was doing mixtapes well, they were a dollar 99 and i couldn't it was burning a hole in my pocket i forgot about cassette singles yeah. you're right though yeah <laughs> but trying to catch it would not get the uh dj on the radio yeah, station i just recorded off the radio yeah yeah just trying to catch I did it a lot of that i did a lot yeah. of that I was in the CD burning generation. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was, made lots of mixed CDs and stuff like that. That had its own set of fun issues. Oh yeah, because I, I remember uh, you know LimeWire and you know trying to download a Napster. song. Napster. 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 You're not sure if the song you're trying to download is actually the song, and it takes like 16 hours to get one song, and then it's a virus. And yeah, those were fun days. You know? <laughs> Good times. Good times. Well, yeah, music. We could talk about that. <laughs> well, the internet speeds well, when that was going on. How yeah. About that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just confused a whole generation, my friend. <laughs> a whole generation doesn't know what's going on right now. True. Speaking of new generations, uh, we're just right after, uh, e- uh, I started to say Easter, right after Halloween here. Did y'all have very many kids at your house, Patrick? I just turned the lights out and pretended I wasn't home. Ooh. Oh wow, you're one of those. Well, I, my, did, did you get in your neighborhood this year, Kevin? Okay, so you would think after how many years? Four don't, years. Don't tell us. Well, I was working and I oh. was actually out toward Lexington and I couldn't get off finished. I had to finish what I was doing. And so I was coming in late and I'm like, okay, this is going to be a problem. And so I called my wife and she said, yeah, well, there's, I mean, it's, you got people parked up, but there's, you know, there's no traffic in front of our house. Well, if you've ever been in our house, it's, I don't know what, maybe 200 yards from the entrance to the neighborhood. So what I experienced was that I got stopped before getting in the neighborhood and sat there. It took me an hour to get oh wow less oh, no. than a quarter of a mile <laughs> to get in. And there was a sheriff's deputy there directing traffic, but it's just, you could not People were parking on the sides of the road. It was only one lane and you couldn't get traffic in and out. They were parking on the sides of that. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it just imagine a neighborhood, a cul-de-sac neighborhood with cars <clears throat> on both sides and then cars trying to come in the middle and people all over the place and walking around. It was madness. What should have taken me an hour to get home took me actually two plus. <laughs> that was my Halloween and we didn't have our lights on either. We just uh, another one. Well, I was. I actually wasn't at home. We actually went over to my parents' house and helped (laughs) hand out candy there. So I really don't know how many people were at my house, but there was quite a few in the uh, the Ramblewood. Oh yeah. Well, we we had two kids come by, and that was it. So I guess we kind of live out of county. But Tom pulled off (laughs) a great thing. So tell us what uh, you kind of did with your candy bowl. And how you got some reactions to what you put in there. So this is not my original idea. I saw it somewhere. It was genius. Some, <laughs> something stupid on the internet I read. <clears throat> a gentleman put a potato in his candy bowl and offered it to the kids. And it, uh, it confused them. But the ones that were excited about it took the potato. And I just love the idea. It's a little abnormal. It's a little weird. So I bought a bag of potatoes. And my wife begged me not to. <laughs> But I did it anyway, because that's who I am. And uh, I had three potatoes with me outside. So I was prepared for, you know, we just moved this past summer. 
where we used to live, we probably got 100 kids, 120 kids going till 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just they just kept showing up. And, you know, the 9.30, 10 o'clock are the kids with a pillowcase and no costume. Give me candy. Yeah. So, but, you know, whatever. It's one time a year you're allowed to do that. So, <laughs> I was prepared for the same number this year, and I, I got a total of 20 kids. And uh, in 20 kids, I was able to give out three potatoes. Um, And I love it. The best part, I haven't told Glenn this yet. My last kid came up and she was collecting for, I think, her brother and maybe somebody else. She had three bags with her. And so I believe in giving out decent candy. So come find me next year. I gave out Reese's and Hershey's. She came up and she said, I really want the potato. And I said, well, you, you can have the potato, but you can have some candy too. So I said, here, let me hold the potato and you reach in here and take the biggest handful because I was closing up. You take the biggest handful you can for each bag. So she did it. And then she grabbed the potato, went down to the end of the driveway and kept going. So I'm cleaning up. And about 10 minutes later, she's kind of in a cul-de-sac. She turns around, she's coming back with her family, and she waves at me from the street. And instead of saying, thank you for the candy, she waves and says, thank you for the potato. <laughs> and everybody, like her family, her kid, you know, everybody that was there, just I just thought it was hilarious. So I, I really enjoyed it. I will be doing it next year. So <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, potatoes. <laughs> but, but didn't you have like a kid at the beginning kind of like start oh, yeah, a little. Out? I had a little itty bitty kid very early on. And... I have a bowl that I let them get their own candy out of. And I just put a potato in the middle of it. And it bothered this little bitty. He was probably two or three. And he looked at it and he's like, I don't want a potato. <laughs> and just started wailing. I'm like, you don't have to take it. You know, you can take the candy. He was not happy with me. So I, don't I, I apologize to that that family. Uh, <laughs> so well, That's a really good idea. It's not mine, but I enjoyed I know, it tremendously. I enjoyed it tremendously. <laughs> That's, stay home next year, Patrick, and give out potatoes. Yeah. We could start I, a trend, You know, y'all. I actually really like this. It is a good Let's idea. Go. It's different, right? <laughs> you know, so. I, well, I've always thought, you know, nobody gives out tricks anymore. Everybody just gives out treats. Uh, okay. We need to bring back giving out tricks. When kids come to the door and say trick or treat, sometimes they need to get a trick. Okay, so uh, let's let's talk about that because my understanding of that phrase is I get to ask them for a trick. Uh, Not that I give them a trick. But oh. they say trick or treat. And I say, all right, I want to see a trick. And I do ask kids that. And I got a lot of blank stares, not knowing what to do. <laughs> I had one kid who did the the magic fingers moving. Oh, yeah, we yeah. bring our hands together, two and one. And then yeah. suddenly uh, <laughs> there's two fingers on the other hand. I had one kid do that for me. And they got a little extra candy. See, I, I think if they say trick or treat, I should say trick and let them yeah. give me a trick. Is that is that the origin of that phrase? Or is it like, ah. give me a trick? treat or I'm going to play a trick on That's you. That's what I always thought. That could be. But I am. Uh, Imagine it's a lot darker. Yeah. <laughs> well, Halloween well, is kind of a dark holiday. It, well, it is a little just, bit. One of the tricks that I always wanted to play on kids, but you can't really give out homemade stuff anymore. I saw, I saw again, stupid thing on the internet, but somebody had taken like the caramel apples, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, I've seen this. Yeah. They take onions and they dip those in the caramel. So they look like a caramel apple until you bite into it and it's an onion. That's rough. And I think that's hilarious. That's you know hilarious. what that turns into, though? Next year, eggs and TP. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I how, think you however, do that at a Halloween party. Yeah. And you just make one. <laughs> you make one and you mix it in with all the that's real right. caramel yeah. apples. It yeah. reminds me of Glenn's Skittles and m and bowl. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, because of that, that's like the only way I like to eat them now. Just oh, mix them all up. You gotta mix them so all up. wrong. But here's a so question wrong. for you when it comes to Halloween. Do you give people grief? You talked about the people with the pillowcase, a teenager, et cetera. Do you give people grief for that? I do Is not. Is that okay? That older kids with the, you know, let's just say teenagers maybe in their 20s are not dressed up. There's no attempt. Okay. If you, I mean, if you're, if you're 18 or older, you don't get candy. Not at all. Not at all. Are you carding them? Yes. And they show wow. up. Yes, for some ID. Hey, Grandpa, right. leave your walker. Hey, leave I actually, your walker in the car. We were having this conversation the other day because of all of this, and I actually was Googling what's the age limit to oh, trick or treat. There, there's oh. an official etiquette. Well, well, it's the internet. Here's the thing. It's based on the different, you know, every city, municipality, whatever, has their own sort of rules. Some of them have strict laws. Some of them what? are more suggested age limits. But all of the... Either laws or suggested age limits are anywhere from 12 to 17. I think there 12 is too young. About yeah. trick or yeah. treating? Is that, well, no, it's like if you're over 12, if you're a teenager, you can't trick or treat. Oh, that's uh, in some places, much. like uh, now, most of the ones that had strict laws were like Virginia for some reason. They're a commonwealth. Actually, yeah, I guess. But <laughs> if you're over 14, you can't trick or treat and stuff like that. So that's. Thought that was interesting. Rough. Yeah, if, I think honestly though, if you're 18, you're probably a little old to trick or treat. Let the little kids have their moment. But when you're 18, that's when you grab up a little kid. And yeah, that's when with you, you push them in the bushes and steal their candy. Yeah. yeah. Oh no no no! You take them with you. <laughs> wow. Like, wow. No, 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 no. Wow. You take them with you. <laughs> no, no no no. Okay. Okay. You take them if with you, you and you're like, look. If you've got a little kid with you, that's different. But if you're just like, if you show up to my door and I'm like, dude, you're in college. I'm not giving you candy. Give me some candy. <laughs> like, go buy your own candy. You should have a job at this point <laughs> wait did you shave before you came over here <laughs> yeah now if you're like taking your like your little cousin or your little brother or sister or whatever you know that's one thing but if you're just by yourself see your equal opportunity candy hander out or tom if, i knew would clash with patrick if, if you show up at my house and ask me for candy i'm probably going to give you candy <laughs> or it potato. doesn't even have to be halloween yeah. i mean oh just, well just show well, up. there you go if i've got candy and you want candy just show tom's up. address is <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> Well, that's that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, just uh, something interesting. Well, trick or treating season is over, and now it's Christmas. Yep. Ah, what? So, yeah, we just skipped the turkey. Someone told me last night, I want to see a turkey before it's Christmas. So Barbie has a stuffed turkey that she sets on the table for Thanksgiving, and it's already out because she has a stuffed pumpkin. Then then comes the stuffed turkey. So I took a picture of the stuffed turkey and sent it to him and said, "All right." <laughs> It's over. You can start putting up your Christmas tree. Do you know of anybody that puts up their Christmas tree the day after Halloween? I know some people who said they were going to. I don't know. There were some people in our neighborhood who had some trees up already. And before, really? You could see them inside before. You know, they didn't have them lit up yet, but you could see them up inside. They were already beginning to work. You know, I joked last episode or maybe episode before that where we celebrate Halloween starting in August and then Christmas starts in October. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Thanksgiving <laughs> like are changing. Thanksgiving mm-hmm. kind of gets the the short straw in all of this because of how big Halloween has gotten, and you know, Christmas has always been ridiculous, but because it's like sandwiched between these two really big holidays, Thanksgiving just kind of gets overlooked a lot of times now. Well, the other night while I was watching my little Texas Rangers uh, whip up on some Arizona Diamondbacks, <laughs> congrats to the Rangers, <laughs> hey. and, uh, all the Rangers fans for their first World Series. All five uh, people that watched the World, <laughs> World all Series, all five of them. <laughs> Sorry, New York, you didn't get what you wanted, but at least you were honest about it and complained. <laughs> but so it was almost Halloween. I think it was the night before Halloween. So Capital One releases like Super Bowl quality commercial with John Travolta. 
Okay. Dressed up as Santa Claus with other people from Saturday Night Live starring in this little commercial. And he ends it with him dancing. It was like, should have been on the Super Bowl. So, Capital One. Sa- Saturday Night Live? Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. I'm sorry. Saturday Night Fever. Not Saturday Confused me. I was very confused. Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. So, you know. Keenan Thompson is out there. Right. I could see so, him doing that. Yeah. He'd be awesome so, yeah. And since that commercial, I mean, I've seen a few other holiday, but now it is hardcore Christmas commercials now. Mm. Everything is. Wow. Got Every kiss begins with K. It even has a Santa oh. with it now. So. <laughs> All right, I got a good uh, a transition dad joke. You ready? Okay. Yep. What did the turkey dress up for for Halloween? A goblin. A goblin. Oh, stop it, Kevin! Nice. <laughs> nice. We think alike, Tom. Yeah, you should it's know dangerous. This. Hey, dangerous. we should talk. We shouldn't uh, leave the topic without talking a little bit about your spurs. Let's talk about. Look, I'm representing. Today. I see that you've got a, a pretty phenomenal person on your team now. He's uh, he's an interesting character. He's a freak of nature. He is definitely that. <laughs> I'm excited about it. What are what are the spurs? The spurs, <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, he's not gonna make it out of here, is he? He, he claims he doesn't know anything about sports, and I'm really not even sure who y'all are talking about. They are <laughs> Victor Wimbanyama. That's pretty good. Say, say that again. Good. That's the first time I've actually said it on out air. loud. If you look <laughs> and read loud. it. It's a little bit harder. You tell us about good old Vic. Old Victor. Um, so I was having this conversation with Josh the other day. And for the record, if you don't know me, I am husband to Holly and father to Josh. So if you don't know who I am, you will know one of those two people. Josh and I were having a conversation. And Victor is a 19-year-old uh, French phenom who went number one in the, in the NBA draft this past summer. And he is a towering seven foot four. Yeah. Wow. But he is, uh, he has the skills of a guard. Now, for basketball players, it's difficult to be a seven foot four guard. Your dribble's a little high. Yeah. Um, so he's working on some of that stuff. But he went number one. And I actually saw an article, and I'm rabbit holing here. I saw an article yesterday that, as of right now, he is a top five clutch player in the NBA, and they define that as you know certain amount of time left in the game and and how he produces. So he's a 19 year old, and Josh and I were having a conversation. The number one draft pick in the NBA is two months older than my son, um, and he's he's struggling to understand that. And I explained to him, just wait until everybody in the NBA is 20 years younger than you. Yeah, really. Um, and when that hits you, you know, then you'll understand what's going on. So he's listed as a seven four power forward. Uh, he's a stretched seven out four should be a center. Uh, he doesn't have the bulk to be a center. He's not like Monte Bowl. Is he? He's Manute Bowl. Yeah. Um, he's actually he's been compared to Bowl Bowl, who mm. is Manute's son. Son. And I think he. I mean, physically they look very similar. He's a taller Kevin Durant, if mm. that makes yeah. sense to you. He's not as polished. Obviously, he's nineteen. Uh, but Kevin would struggle as much as I love Kevin Durant's game. He would struggle in the post. Right, he, yeah. He can take small guys in there, but he can't go in there. And you know, Stephen Adams could pick him up and carry him out of the paint anytime <laughs> he wanted. And you know, you need a little bit of bulk to be down there low. And seven foot four frame means you're going to have to eat a lot of San Antonio tacos and enchiladas to <laughs> to add up a little bit of that. So, um, and and he said early on, he said, "I don't need to gain weight. Mm-mm. I've got my game." And so it's interesting. There are lots of comparisons with. LeBron James in that, you know, he was sort of crowned this superstar mm-hmm. before he even got into the league. 
So it would just be fascinating and interesting to see. And, you know, Coach Pop has had success yes. with big men. Yes. So there's a lot of potential. He, it's a great fit. Yeah. It really is. And we'll see how, how he plays out. You hate to put those kind of expectations on a 19-year-old. Right. For all of them that have had that, you know, LeBron probably fulfilled them the best. We had Chet was Holmgren. last year. Yep. Who was then he hurt got hurt. <laughs> yeah, but he's he is he's good straight too. up. Yeah. Uh, he's balling, absolutely balling. So well, he's going to put on some weight too. I had to dip into sports a little bit. Basketball. Well, that actually is a great segue as we're moving into the real purpose for Tom being here, which we're not going to real oh. video just yet. Candy and basketball. I was, yeah, I was yeah, enjoying yeah. this. <laughs> but um, but you are a San Antonio Spur fan, and you grew up down in San Antonio. I did. So tell us a little bit about your growing up in uh, South Texas. I grew up in North Texas, kind of at the same time, which is funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell us a little bit about your growing up in South Texas and really just kind of how you ended up in Jackson, Tennessee. How I ended up in Jackson. I think I see where you're going with this. Mm. So, yeah, I grew up in a, a little little town called Universal City, uh, which is a suburb of uh, San Antonio. The biggest piece there was Randolph Air Force Base, and that's how we ended up there. My dad was a uh, civil servant at Randolph when we moved there. I was not born there. But moved, I'm trying to think of the timeline. I think we moved there when I was two, moved away when I was four, and moved back when I was six. So I had a lot of, <laughs> I don't remember a lot of that. But uh, yeah, I grew up in a little little suburb, went to high school there, had a great time. I like to tell this. I found my high school ID, and I don't have it with me, or I would share it. But <laughs> it's interesting to see what I look like as a, as a sophomore and a junior. That was, uh, that was a little bit wild. Graduated high school and went off to college for a year and decided it wasn't for me. It, it helps when you go off to college, kids, if you actually go to class. <laughs> uh, that's important. Uh, my roommate was a party animal, and I was an early morning class kind of guy, and that combination did not work well. So, mm-hmm. And when I was paying for it, I wasn't getting what I needed. So I left school and uh, came back home to San Antonio. Uh, my parents said, you're not going to live here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was good. At the time, it wasn't a lot of fun, but it was a, it was a good move. Um, so I got an apartment with a friend of mine and working a couple of jobs and was just kind of spinning my wheels, if you will. Didn't really know what I wanted to do and was uh, involved with some friends that maybe we weren't making the best decisions Mm. and decided, hey, I need to do something here Mm. or I'm going down the wrong path. And uh, I said, you know what? I think I may go talk to to an Air Force recruiter. And I went in and had a conversation with them. And they told me, hey, we don't have anything open right now. And keep in mind, this was a long time ago, so my memory is a little fuzzy on it. But I told them I wanted a medical job, and they said, well, we'll call you if something comes up. And I was expecting, you know, a three- to six-month wait, and two weeks later, they called me and said, hey, uh, can you leave next week? Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah. So um, so I, I enrolled, or enlisted, rather, not enrolled, enlisted uh, in the service, and the job, and, and I know Glenn mentioned this a little bit earlier, the job was as a, a laboratory technician. And so what that is, is if you've ever had somebody who's gone into a hospital or gone into a clinic and and had blood drawn or had to pee in a cup or had to hack up a a sputum sample, 
those things go off to a laboratory and they actually pay human beings to, uh, you know, do whatever, whatever test needs to be run on those things and give results to the doctor so they can make decisions on how to treat you. I went off to tech school, graduated top of my class, had an opportunity to go to Japan and I should have taken it. Um, (laughs) but there was a girl back home. My girl. Yeah, it's amazing the decisions you make. Um, <laughs> so decided to go back home. Um, so grew up in San Antonio, went off to tech school, and then came back to San Antonio to Wilford Hall, which is uh, either being demolished or has been demolished, which oh, wow. it was due, but it was still kind of sad to see it. And then the the lab at Wilford Hall is or was very specialized. There were probably 200 techs there, and this is a a large hospital serving a large military population. And I decided on going into microbiology. And the reason I did that, chemistry, hematology, blood bank were the other main areas, and microbiology was my weakness. Mm. Um, anybody who's ever been in a laboratory setting would probably understand this. All of those other fields are very important, but they're very black and white. This is within range. This is out of range. This Mm. number is high. This number is low, whatever. Here's the cutoff. Make a decision. Microbiology is very gray. It is not cut and dry. And it bothered me. It was my weakest subject (laughs) in school. And so I said, I'm going to figure this out. Mm. And so um, went into that and uh, spent, three or four years working in a clinical micro lab. I'm going to say this and I'm going to regret it because somebody listening to this is going to hit me with this later, but <laughs> I had risen to the powerful position of urine bench supervisor. So <laughs> deal with that. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, we wore gloves and we did all that stuff, but gloves break, you can imagine. Um, so I, I uh, worked there for a little bit and then I got an opportunity to go to a better lab position that was doing some research. And I went and worked in the research lab for three years. And while I was doing that, I went to school at night to finish my degree, uh, which was a great way to do it. Anybody thinking about going into the military, if you do, take advantage of that. They, yeah. they paid 75% of my school. So I was able to graduate college with no debt, which was wonderful. It was a great feeling and graduated college and was trying to make a decision about what I wanted to do. I served a total of eight years in the service and was thinking about retiring. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but asked them if I could apply for a commission. And they told me they didn't think they would need commissioned laboratory officers. And the difference between enlisted and commission at that time was about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year, the difference. Mm-hmm. So you can understand, I'd finished my degree and I was like, okay, you know, start paying me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and they didn't want to. And so um, my former supervisor called me and said, hey, there's this company that services microbiology equipment, basically does technical support, which is what I do. And I think you'd be really good at it. You should go apply. And so I went and applied. And that was 26 years ago now. Um, They called me and said, hey, we've got a position in Tennessee. What do you think? And I Mm. said, I've never been to Tennessee before. Let's do it. Mm. So moved to Jackson in uh, 1998, spring of 98. So it'll be 26 here in the spring. And I'm fortunate enough to still be working for them. I love what I do most of the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, there's a reason we call it work. 
I basically train and troubleshoot microbiology equipment is what I do. And I travel to laboratories all over West Tennessee, Arkansas, Mississippi. And because I've been doing this for a minute, they send me, uh, this is, I don't, I try to stay humble here, I guess. If there's something that people can't figure out, I'm often on the list of people they call. And they're like, hey, we need you to go to Oklahoma, or hey, we need you to go back into Texas. And it's out of my territory, but it's something that's different. Tom, go solve this. Um, Well, dealing dealing with micro equipment's hard Mm -hmm. because you have specialized glasses, I'm sure, to see them and stuff. Yeah, Yeah, because all that micro equipment's so small. The nano probes. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your little nanobots. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) It's all top secret. Top secret. We know it exists. Yes, it does exist. It does exist. So can't they're, tell you anything else. They're yeah. just telling us it's microplastics, yes. but really. Yes. Yes. You're all going to get an injection later. How about that? <laughs> I thought that was what the COVID, COVID mm. shot was. Don't go down this path. Don't go down this path. That was not a sanctioned comment. Uh, that's right. We have an edit button, right? We did. Yes. Okay. So, so basically, you are still kind of doing that stuff that you've done for a long time. How has the equipment that we, you use, how has the equipment changed in those 20-something years? So, it's kind of amazing. The basics of it haven't changed that much. Yeah. Um, it's just become easier, um, okay. if you will. It's become more automated, obviously. Back when I started in 98, Patrick, were you alive in 98? I was, yes. Okay, barely. I was like uh, 11 10, oh, okay. 10, 10. Okay. I'm sorry. I turned I'm 10 sorry. in Okay. Yeah. So, so back at that time, we had a computer running a system. Uh, it was a DOS prompt. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you remember. Okay. So uh, we had to type in commands. Now it's yeah. point and click. We had a GUI interface, graphical user interface, which came out just after the year 2000. And we all remember 2000 when... Yeah. Y2K. Uh, you know, right. The world's going to fall apart and, yeah. you know, fill up your bathtub and all that <laughs> nonsense. So it, it's changed in that area. We've been able to, and I'm, I'm probably oversimplifying it, but organisms change as well. They adapt and mm, they, yeah. they change, they get introduced. And if I could put a plug in, if you have an infection and you are prescribed antibiotics, and that I'm not a physician, I did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express, um, <laughs> but generally speaking, if you've been prescribed antibiotics, take the full dose of them. (laughs) Because what happens far too often is people will begin to take the antibiotic and then they'll feel better. Mm. And then they'll, I don't need that anymore. And if it hasn't killed the organism, the microorganism that's giving you trouble has now learned how to beat that drug. Mm. And that's how come we have multi-drug resistant organisms, things like that. I remember very early on, and this is going to be Greek to a lot of you, there's an organism called uh, vanc-resistant enterococcus. Uh, and you've probably heard of, of another organism called MRSA, mm-hmm. uh, methicillin-resistant staph aureus. Those were unheard of when I started. I remember early 2000s getting a vanc-resistant enterococcus off of the instrument when I was working in the laboratory. And I said, this machine's wrong. There's, there's no way. This isn't a thing. And guess what? It was legit. <laughs> um, so it's kind of interesting to see things like that. You know, those organisms, I'm not advocating for them, but they are fighting to survive. We're fighting to kill them. And, right. you know, it's a battle. So that's my PSA. Take your antibiotics, people. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the best thing I can tell you. Unless your doctor says otherwise. Yeah. So. Well, as we're recording this, we have Veterans Day coming up. And that's mm-hmm. the real reason we ask you to be here today. So 
So you served in the Air Force, and I, I, it says here on the internet that your golf score has to be a certain amount before you can become a commissioned yeah, officer. That was, so that yeah, was your that problem. That was my problem. Yeah, it's your bad. Golf score was, what did you say the bad. other day? It's shorts and polos. <laughs> yeah, shorts and polos. <laughs> yeah, it's the country club. Uniform. It's the country club. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but you served in the Air Force. I did. So tell us a little bit. What did it mean to you to serve uh, your country in, in that capacity. I mean, it wasn't like you were a Rambo out there running around with a no. gun, but you know, you were fighting other microbiological sure. uh, battles. But what did it mean to you to serve your country in, in that way? So I think that's an answer that I can give looking back over time. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I mentioned earlier, I was spinning my wheels. Yeah. I, I didn't know what I was doing, I knew I needed some direction. I don't have a problem saying when I went off to college at 18, 19, I was probably on the maturity level of a 13-year-old, and there are some who would argue I'm still there, um, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't have any oh dreams of, oh, I want to grow up and be this, and I don't know why that was. It just, it was. It was an avenue to sort of become an adult. Mm. I had grown up and... My parents did an excellent job of, of instilling what I would consider patriotism uh, in me. My wife kind of laughs at me today. I will tear up if the national anthem is on TV, yeah, uh, yeah. and I'll stand up. That was in me before I went in, and that sort of polished it. Uh, the, yeah. the service sort of polished it. Bottom line, I, I love this country. Um, I know we have our faults. Show me a perfect country. That, that, that doesn't exist. By and large, I think the United States is the... Uh, we are the biggest force for good in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, you you mentioned sort of the the golf score and the and the polo and, and <laughs> yeah. shorts. There's sort of a, a big brother little brother rivalry there among the branches. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Because I know the military, the physical requirements for the Air Force were not anywhere close to the Navy or the Marines or the Army or anything like that. But when you put all of them together. There is not a better force in the world. Yeah. Uh, working together, I believe we could accomplish anything we wanted to. Yeah. Um, like I said, I love this country, warts and all. And it was an honor. Honestly, it was an honor for me to put on the uniform. And yeah. uh, I thoroughly enjoyed my time. Not to say I didn't have you know bumps and bruises along the way. Uh, <laughs> I did some knucklehead things. But it really was instrumental in straightening my life out and... Uh, I'm a big believer in everything you do today makes up who you are tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer in that. And I look back at the decisions and I'll say this out loud. I'm 53, about to be 54. And for some silly reason, I'm always surprised when I say, oh, God was doing this and look mm-hmm. where it led me. And mm-hmm. I'm still surprised by it. And I, I shouldn't be, right? But I still am. I'm like, he was using this to put me in this position so yeah. I would make this decision. So I would, do, and I look back at it and how he's guided me and, and led me. I mean, that's why I'm here today, Yeah, you know? Josh Rolf wouldn't exist if, <laughs> if all those things hadn't happened. He's he's one of my favorite humans, by the way. He's, he's our, your favorite son, anyways. Yeah, right? he's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and he's been on the podcast before. Well, so I have not heard that episode. I knew he was on it. There's more than one, actually. Yeah. Oh. He did not remember them all. Yeah. Well. Yeah, that no. was that was scary too. I remember that. Well, part. Yeah. there's a joke I want to make, but I'm but I'm not yes. going to make. It. You yes. know those college kids. Yes. Um, I did not know that. I I had not really discovered the podcast world until probably six months ago. 
you know, the, the crusty old man, get off my lawn. I'm adverse <laughs> to new technology. Give me my Pandora. Uh, Which I, is I like funny, it. you working in technology. I, is I know, exactly. I know. Um, but, you know, we hate the way things are and we hate change, right? So He had um, to wait for the podcast world to age about 20 years yeah. before he joined yeah. us. Has it really yeah. been so 20 not, years? Yeah, so it's not new anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't realize that. <laughs> At least 15. Yeah, I got to say, probably, yeah, yeah, 15 probably is a little bit. I mean, podcast world really started taking off while I was in college. So okay. somewhere around 2010, 2011. Okay. When did this one start? Uh, 2020. Oh, that was what I was waiting COVID. for. Yeah, you were just yeah. waiting for us. I was waiting for this yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. I yeah. mean, Supreme. so podcasts came out of blogs. People were <laughs> blogging real hot and heavy. And then they're like, why am I doing all this typing? Just <laughs> when I could just be talking, really. <laughs> and so <laughs> then they started recording themselves. And I guess social media gave them the platforms and music yeah. started going online and stuff yeah. like that. So. I mean, it all kind of started happening around the same time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've got a question for you, Tom. This is uh, an interesting observation for me. For those of you who don't know a little bit about my background, my background in terms of my family is in pacifism. So Church of the Brethren is sort of where my parents were anchored, which is similar in kind of in the realm of Mennonite and Quaker and called historical peace churches. But one of the things that was a real key for them in the 60s, et cetera, especially was conscientious objection and and not Mm -hmm. connecting with the military. And for various parts of my family, there were tons of reasons around that. A lot of it had to do with just anti-war kinds of things. That was a a national movement in the 60s, for sure. Mm -hmm. And so not having direct experience with the military and not having direct family members that weren't in it, my understanding or thoughts around that as a child were a lot different. A lot of times from me with that background, thinking military would be infantry, sure, you know, training to kill people, basically. Sure. But what you explained was more of a career aspect Absolutely. around it. And I know that is a big part of the military today. It's a lot of times what they're talking to you about when, when you're recruiting is what particular job do you want? What mm-hmm. kinds of things? And the GI Bill and lots of different things that do pay for education. I was curious, when you kind of got into it, did you think about the basic training and, and that kind of stuff? Or was it really more around a career and a direction and, and those kinds of things? I mean, obviously, you, you know you're going to go through some of the basic training and, and some of the other um I specifically wanted a medical job uh, because I wanted to be in the business of helping people. I have no desire to pick up a gun and and destroy people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, generally speaking, I'm anti-war. Um, <laughs> not, I'm not going to come on here and say I'm pro-war. Yeah, right. uh, I understand that sometimes that has to happen. Yeah. I, I don't like it. Um, I, I don't think anybody really enjoys it. Well, may may qualify that <laughs> there's somebody pulling strings somewhere that might enjoy it but generally speaking i i want to help people yeah. um, is is what i want to do when i went in we go through the same basic training everybody else did and that is more about discipline mm-hmm. and creating a new human being mm-hmm. um and a little side bit i don't know if you guys at least i believe this to be true do you know what the term um gi stands for you ever heard the term General GI? List government issued. Government yeah. issued. Uh, yeah. And so it's kind I of I knew scary. that from G.I. Joe. From G.I. Hey. Joe. So it's government issued. <laughs> and so what they do during Probably. this basic training is they take who you are, and you've got to imagine, I was in a flight of 
40 people, maybe 50 people. I can't remember the numbers, but we came from all over the U.S. and we're all different. Um, some of us had long hair, some of us had short hair. Well, guess what? Day one, you all have short hair, mm. right? Day one, you're all wearing the same outfit. And so they're breaking you down so that they can build you back up. And I kind of looked at that as sort of cleansing the bad mm. habits I had and the things that I was doing that weren't good for me. So I, I knew that going in. I never wanted to go into a field position there. I ended up going. When I joined, I joined in ninety. And early 91 is when we started the invasion of Iraq. Mm -hmm. And so I was in Wichita Falls, Texas, and they were talking about, hey, y'all, get your bags ready. You're fixing to go to Germany or England or something. We weren't going to go on the front lines, but hospital support. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, what? We're students. We don't know what we're doing. What do you mean? And when I eventually ended up at Wilford Hall in San Antonio, they took the people that were their permanent party that had been assigned there. And sent a bunch of them over there and left us students running the lab, which uh. was really interesting. I mean, we had supervisors. And we weren't just a bunch of monkeys pushing buttons. But, um, you know, we we were doing the bulk of the work when the, those people that knew what they were doing mm-hmm. were shipped over to England and Germany. Um, I understand your thoughts there. It was never about, I want to go bomb people or I want to go mm-hmm. kill people. It was... It was a career path. It was something to point me in the right direction and help people if I can. Probably my, I don't want to say my favorite memory, but some of the best times I had, I don't know if people remember in 95, the Cuban refugee crisis. Mm -hmm. We had people in Cuba who were fleeing communism and trying to get to Florida, and they were just overrunning and overrunning. And and we went down there. I deployed there for three months and actually ran a field hospital, a field hospital lab. Uh, which is like a shipping container. <laughs> so, they, well, it's kind of a combination of a shipping container and a camper. They oh, yeah. they drop a box, and then it expands out. Uh, and so cool. we we run some equipment in there. I saw some horrific things there that people were just trying to do whatever they could to get to the U.S. And then when we we set up camps to help them, screen them, treat them, things like that. The worst thing I'll say is is there was a gentleman that was so desperate to get to the U.S. He injected diesel fuel into his leg. Mm. And then, of course, we couldn't treat that in a field hospital. So I think he lost his leg, but mm. I think he lost his leg in the U.S. And mm. then once he was in the U.S., uh, I don't say that to, to gross anybody out. I'm just uh, they were so desperate to get here. That was an extreme situation, but everybody else was just, they just wanted to be free. Mm-hmm. Um, they were tired of living where they were living and wanted to come here. And our job at that time was to help them as best we could. Um, you know, the, the question I used to get, Glenn, I'm sure you got this. Uh, oh, I'm in the Air Force. Oh, do you fly a plane? Right. <laughs> uh, did you drive a boat, Glenn? I mean, yeah. right? Yes, I do, but it's much smaller. <laughs> yes, right. it does. So, but it's its own little economy i guess i don't yeah. want to say economy it's not the right word um own culture own culture own, own little subculture mm-hmm. own little system i mean there's admin people there's secretaries there's yeah. physicians there's surgeons there's well uh, maintenance people there's any any career you could find in the general economy mm-hmm. you could probably find in the military or something that dabbles in it if not a specialist well, i know some of the bigger bases will have 60 to 70 something thousand people yep. in them yeah and they have every service every oh, yeah. people that work in the stores to sewer department yep. to 
you know, people self everything Very is inside that base. Well, and I think just for the record here, I think that my perspective on all this and has always been, it's far more nuanced than I heard it as a kid. Sure. And I have a high level of respect for people that are taking care of people and doing good things. And so it's not like I'm against the military, but it's interesting with my background because as all of us, we grow up in a particular family culture and those things are part of how we're made, but also we can change from that and we can grow from that. And I believe that that makes you a richer human being. Mm. And that's why we're all so diverse and different. So I'm always curious when I'm talking to someone who's been in the military, I don't have that experience. Sure. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it feels like. So I'm always asking those that have served what that means to you, what it feels like, what your thoughts and your perspective are, because they're different than mine. And I think that's kind of what it's all about as us building community is being able to celebrate the differences and yet see how they all come together to make things work. Yeah. I really think about that's what Veterans Day is. You know, it's different than Memorial Day, right? It's definitely different. You guys would say that all the time. <laughs> yes. And for people that haven't served, it might not be that clear. Sure. Understood. <laughs> so yeah. that's one of the things we can talk about. But it's really celebrating all the people that have served and mm-hmm. all the different pieces and parts and places, right? Yeah. Yeah, Veterans Day is definitely about all those people who have served. And Memorial Day is about all those who died while they were serving. Lives, right? <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, our, we have a lot of young veterans today after the global war on terrorism, yes. Afghanistan, Iraq, Iraqi freedom. We do have a lot of young veterans now, which our country, when all of us grew up, it was more Vietnam vets mm-hmm. and World War II vets Correct. or Korea vets that were grandfathers, uncles, mm-hmm. then dads if they served in Vietnam. And there was a large population from World War II, and that got smaller and smaller as we went down. And then we had just a few little conflict-type things until now, and a lot of that is people we know, our kids even, mm-hmm. um, that kind of thing that, that has served. And, and you know, some of us that were you know still around kind of at different levels. But... Veterans Day is a time for us to remember those people who, I, I like to say it this way, stood a watch and kind of provided a service is really what they did, whether they were watching something or cruising somewhere or flying somewhere or checking labs, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for someone in a hospital. And Somebody's got to keep those people flying and, check, yeah, and keeping watch and healthy. So, so our, you know, in our country, really, in a world like today, it really does need somebody out there on the outsides watching us, you know, or watching for us so that we go on and live our lives doing what we want to do. And we've talked about this recently. I think Patrick has mentioned it in some of the geopolitical conversations he's had. We haven't had a world war in a while now. Yeah. And so some would debate that it's going to be time here soon. It's going to happen. But I think that does change the way the culture sees service and Mm. combat and things like that, right? Yeah. Because... You know, there hasn't been a global war like World War II or one in my lifetime. Yeah. I think just recently the last World War II vet from U.S. died, something like that. There's still some. I think there's, are there? I think there's yeah. one or two. Okay. I don't think there's a lot. Yeah, some of the ones I think that were on specific missions like Pearl Harbor uh-huh. or right. D-Day, because it's like my grandmother, she's 97, about to be 98. Yeah, it could have been, some of them it that are been still a D-Day alive, but uh, person, yeah. Yeah, it could have been like one of those, yeah. My point is that's removed from our sort of collective memory. Yeah. Sure. Especially people younger than us, for sure. (laughs) Yes. 
you know, that just changes the role of kind of the military in our collective memory too. And I feel like sometimes it seems at least we've seen this with police officers mm, too, yeah. that they don't get the respect maybe that they would have 80 years ago. Yeah. Right. I struggle with that a little bit too, because there's still the service going on. Oh yeah. Right. It may not be combat in the same huge scale way, Sure, but there's combat going on daily. Yeah. <laughs> we all know people that have been a part of that. So I think if there's anybody listening that may put a little less emphasis on that, it's worth thinking about mm-hmm. because yeah. it is still a part of our life. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about what the Bible has to say about it as well, because as we as Christians, what would Jesus do and how would we think about that? And that's an interesting conversation. It is an interesting conversation. You know, in Matthew 24, it says that there will be wars and rumors of wars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's an inevitable. How are we supposed to deal with that? How are we supposed to respond to that? How are we supposed to connect with this issue? It's like those little microbiology things. It's a gray <laughs> yeah, it is in gray. life. And, you know, the Bible is wrought with war yes. all over it. And, yes. You know, some of that God, won't say ordained. Well, but he really did. <laughs> so, right. you know, he's like, go down there and those people will fall to your hand, you know. Wow. You know, that's pretty well given direction there. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's humans and human nature. You know, what was it? Someone always said, um, Adam and Eve, and then murder, you know, there's Mm -hmm. always been that conflict, Mm -hmm. that physical conflict and stuff. And Israel and what's going on over in that part of the world right now, it's kind of back more on our daily thoughts and stuff again. Kids in high school today weren't even alive in 2001. Right. Not 11. Right. Right. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe because that seemed like that was just yesterday in some ways. So, you know, we've kind of know what it means to be at war, but we watch it from afar. Yes. In live action now. Which is very different than it was prior to that. Right. I think it's interesting, too, with the advance of technology now and Twitter and uh, TikTok and all Mm -hmm. these other things. We have information so much faster than we ever used to. And as it's happening. Right. Sometimes it's accurate. Sometimes it's not. That's true. Um, So you never know what you're going on. But, I mean, you think about it. When when were 24-hour news channels introduced? I can't think of that, but that's a fairly recent phenomenon. 25 years ago, 30 years ago, longer. Uh, 70s, 80s. Was it, was it that early? It was okay. um, 80-something, I think, when CNN okay. popped okay. on. I mean, that's so. that was a major difference from World mm-hmm. War One and World War Two, where you turn the TV on if you had a TV or you turn the radio on for a newscast at 5 o'clock. Now we have it, hey, let me pull up the Google and see what's going on. I just called it the Google. The Google. The Google. Um, <laughs> but you can, I mean, you have access to information at your fingertips, and it's good and bad. Uh, yeah. We've heard the term fake news over the last mm-hmm. however many, seven, eight, ten years, whatever it is. There's a lot of that out there on both sides. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's If I can get my narrative out first, I win. I mean, that's what it is, and it's unfortunate. But I do want to say this. The military is not a monolith. I mean, there are bad people in the military, too. Sure. Um, it's not, not everyone is deserving of the respect. Uh, there are people with foul intentions and, you know, it's a microcosm of society. Yeah. Um, it, it really is. For the most part, the people that are there, I think, want to do the right thing. They want to serve. Like I said, I mentioned earlier, it was an honor for me to wear the uniform. It really was to, to know that a small percentage of people choose that path. Mm-hmm. Um, it was one of the best five things that's happened in my life. It really was. It, yeah. it straightened me out, and I needed it. So I'm grateful for it. CNN started in 1980. 1980. Wow. Yeah, 1980. So. And they were 24 hours then? 
Yeah, I think pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wish but not everybody saw him because you had to have one of those big old monster discs oh, in your yeah, yard right. <laughs> to right. get it. Right. So not everybody saw it. It was several more years before everybody saw it. Well, I think they really came into their own when the uh, Iraq War. Right. Where it was something that, that was early 90s. was relevant. Yeah. Right. To be look at twenty four hours. But the thing I hear that really put 24-hour news stories on the map was the O.J. Simpson. I remember uh, that, Ford Bronco <laughs> I remember chase. that. You know, before that, Fox News was basically doing helicopter chases in California and stuff like that. That's what they would do a lot of. Huh. And CNN got into some of that, too. But the... O.J. Simpson white Bronco chase put them really hardcore into the daily subconscious. So, which is funny. Was yeah, ninety three. Yeah, yeah, ninety four yeah. somewhere in that neighborhood. So. <laughs> well, Tom, thanks for coming in and thanks yes, for your thanks service. For having me. We do appreciate yes, that. And uh, let's remember all of our veterans. I know we do that pretty well here at Northside, and uh, let's remember them this next week, and especially on November eleventh. You know, the 1st of November also serves as a time that we call All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. And um, we just did All Saints Sunday this past week. And these names were read in the services as people who have passed away from our church family this past year. And so I want to read those today, just so in case you didn't catch church online or you weren't here or something. But we want to remember these people who have passed away from our church family from this past year. Mr. Ken McDaniel, Bill Ryder, Richard Barlow, Mary Jo Kaufman, who was one of our original charter members, Philip Lacey, John Davis, Bob Haggerty, Mr. Jim Chumney, Mike Johnson, Olin Beams, and Janet Marbury. We do want to remember those families and all of these wonderful people who have helped Northside in the years be what it is. So there's some of them on there that maybe you recognize the name or maybe you know them well. And so we definitely want to remember them. Yeah, as we talk about all the celebrations toward the end of the year, you know, when someone you care about's died, it's mm-hmm. different. Yeah. It's definitely it different. And yeah. so we can't offer enough prayer for <laughs> those folks that yeah. are that are hurting so definitely and i think patrick we have some things coming that you're going to talk about but one of them is a service right for mm-hmm. this very thing so what do we have uh well i was actually just going to kind of reference people back to last week's episode yeah, we put out a good. pretty comprehensive list uh, <laughs> on last week's episode but two things i will mention one is grief share is putting it on and it's, it's called surviving the holidays yeah. and it is an event for those who have lost loved ones this year and uh like kevin said the holidays are definitely different after you've lost someone so this will be a good time for support and connecting with others who are grieving so I would recommend that that's going to be on November the 12th, that's a Sunday, from 2 to 4 p.m. in room 302. So make sure you put that on the calendar. The other thing that I forgot to mention last week is this Thursday on the 9th, we're having a recreational drone class. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I forgot to mention that on the last week's episode. That's going to be from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. in Hope Hall. In Hope Hall. And Josh Mobley's going to come out and teach us how to fly drones. <laughs> yeah. So I'm excited. I'll be there. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. That's going to be, yeah. if you're even remotely interested, yeah. Uh, give me a holler and come on. And then I think we're also going to have a uh, flight day on the 12th on the as well. 12th. So yeah. we'll um, talk about that during the class. During the class. Yeah. And you do have to be 13 
to attend. So sorry, 12 year olds. Um, <laughs> Do it next year. Yeah, next year. Do you want people to bring their own drones or not on that sounds, day? Sounds on, like a nightmare. On, on the, the night. 9th is going to be just more of a, uh, an informational class. Um, and then the 12th will be a flight day. And Josh will give us more information on that. But uh, there, is, there is plans for a drone to be flown around Hope Hall on the night. Yeah. So. <laughs> but only by professionals. Only by professionals, <laughs> which is not. Patrick, nor I. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yet. Yet. But once I go to this class. <laughs> but yeah, for all the other stuff coming up, you can check out last week's episode, or you can hit up our website and our app, go to our events page. we got a lot of that stuff there for you to peruse. We do have Ben Ferguson coming up soon, talking about some of the things that are going on here at the church from the Board of Servant Directors and the Capital Campaign and some of the work that's going to be done after the first of the year. Working on getting some people from Christmas Mission Mart coming up soon to talk to us about what's going to be going on with that. And hopefully Rifa, someone coming to talk about kind of what it looks like to help people during the holidays, Thanksgiving coming. And then Clayton Ramsey is going to be coming and talking to us a little bit about some things, talk especially about the holidays and alcohol issues and things like that. So several things coming up on the podcast and still want to remind you that we are going to be doing Christmas songs soon. Yes. So after Thanksgiving, we'll have our Christmas song episode. So uh, start thinking up your favorite Christmas songs. Yeah. Make sure you send us your favorite Christmas songs if you want them mentioned on the podcast. And who's singing them. Yes. And we're going to make sure that we uh, include the particular version because we get that there's like a million versions of a lot of these songs. So if you've got a specific version in mind... Let us know that, too. I can foresee that segment being the Christmas version battle. (gasps) Ooh. Who's going to win the battle? And we may have to do some, like, tournament? Head-to-head. Yeah. Who did the Christmas song the best? (laughs) That could be. Let's see how many submissions we get of certain ones. Tom knows a little bit about doing some uh, Christmas album stuff. I mean, he's put together some mixed tapes. (laughs) They're not tapes anymore. (laughs) Right. I wish they still were. (laughs) They're called playlists now. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Tom lowered the boom on us and told us that he had some uh, single cassettes out there. Mm -hmm. Still got them. Still have a player, too. I'm interested. What's your favorite one? Ooh, it's going to be telling on your musical taste. Well, my musical tastes are all over the map. Yeah, mine, too. I, I listen to everything. Um... It really depends on the mood I'm in, but probably the one that I, the one that comes to mind most would be Young MC Bust a Move. Oh, just Bust a Move. That's right. I I know every word of that song, so I'm not going to sing it. it. I'm not doing it. Well, they're doing it. (laughs) You want it. Yep. So and that song made a big comeback because of it did. Um, uh, like Guitar Hero or or on Dance Dance Revolution. Yeah, that's what it was. Dance Dance Revolution <laughs> on the Wii or Nintendo too. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> all right, Patrick. Well, guys, thanks for podcasting with me, and thanks to all of you out there in the world for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at Northside Now Podcast. Go to our website, northsidejackson.com, or email us at podcast at northsidejackson.com. We hope to hear from you soon. Once again, this is Patrick. This is Glenn. I'm Kevin. I'm Tom. And that's what's happening at Northside Now. Bye-bye. Go Spurs. Go Spurs.